Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Thank you so much for being here today. I am excited to have a conversation with Kristen Clark, who is the Syracuse Office Managing Partner and Chief Risk Officer at the Bonadio Group, one of the perennial move firms that we love talking to every year. So thank you so much for being here, Kristen. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. I'm pretty excited myself to be here. Excellent. So let's jump right in. When we talked last year, women comprise 37% of your partners and principals, well ahead of the national average, and also ahead of the move firm average as well. Bonadio also does better than most at retaining women as they move from director level to partnership, losing only on average 24% at that stage compared to 50% nationwide, and an improvement over your 2020 numbers, which were 34%. So that's quite a jump there. What is Bonadio doing differently that is allowing you to retain and promote women at a rate that exceeds the majority of accounting firms? You know, I think that it's always come down to two things, really. One, being a very growth-oriented firm. And because of that, we kind of realized early on that we couldn't be successful if we, even if we wanted to put up barriers, we kind of couldn't because we had to, we were building capacity for the work that we wanted to do in terms of growth. So I think it's been um, partly just, you know, a a group of open-minded people that said, we want to grow this thing. We're going to need all hands on deck kind of a thing. And really being focused on flexibility and true flexibility. I think we've, we've always kind of had a a culture of being flexible, a culture of, of respect for, for diverse perspectives and backgrounds, not necessarily explicit, not necessarily in terms of programs around promoting women or advancing women or, um, but, but really just kind of organically being flexible. So I think we recognize that people could provide good, great client service. They could have a career and a family and, and not that it's always been easy. You know, somebody like me, for example, I was our first woman partner, a fact that I'm very proud of, but I've been with our firm for about 36 years now and have have seen us grow significantly. So again, it comes kind of comes back to that growth mindset. If we want to grow, we can't say we're going to exclude this group of people or this group of people being flexible all along the way. No, that makes sense. And excluding people is just not smart on a whole variety of levels, but you make a good point there that if you want to grow, you really need to find the best people no matter who they are or in many cases where they are. Right. And and now that now that we have grown, we're I'd say we're being a little more strategic and thoughtful about it versus just kind of organic. Um, we do have a significant commitment to DEI. And in fact, we hired our first full-time manager for DEI this year. So that's pretty exciting. In order to not just kind of make sure it happens by accident, but to be much more strategic and thoughtful about it. I think people have choices about where they work, where they have their career and what kind of career they want. And we need to be able to provide them the best environment to do that. And we think this is one of the one of the best ways to do that. And the best work environments are those that are give and take where what's good for the firm 
what's good for the people, what's good for the firm. You know, it just kind of, it works well together when you're thinking about both sides of that equation. So one of the things that I thought was interesting um, when we talked last year too, was that you are focused on pay equity at your firm and completed a compensation study in early 2022. So about a year ago, and that led to pay increases for all employees below partner level. Tell me what led you to focus on pay equity last year and how the process worked and you know how it was received at your firm. Yeah, it was it was really uh, an educational process for all of us, I would say. It it kind of came out of some other focus areas and strategic areas we were looking at, namely what we've sort of called our employee experience uh, initiative. So we, you know, like all firms, we're focused on retention, we're focused on recruiting, but we know that recruiting is only the, the one piece of it. Once we have people here, we want to keep the best people and make them really happy to be having their career here. So part of what we did was sort of a listening tour. Uh, we had a lot of um, focus groups, a lot of a lot of dialogue, hours and hours and hours. We had an outside consultant help us. And one of the things that came through was compensation and concerns around compensation and really a lack of good information around compensation. So we decided to kind of put the anecdotal stuff aside and we hired a consultant. This is their area of focus. This is what they do. They came in and did a, a good deep dive into our compensation. I would I will say in terms of for, for other people listening to this, if, if one of the lessons I would I would advise uh, that we learned was a lot of communication with our people. Uh, we had great intentions around, but it some of it was mis, misunderstood or miscommunicated on our part. So we were very transparent. We're doing a compensation study. We you know we're going to get some great information. We're going to we're you know we're all going to benefit through gathering this information. But what we learned in a lot of cases at a lot of levels is that we were right in the right place with compensation. So when people heard compensation study, a lot of them thought compensation increased because clearly if their perception was that they were being underpaid or paid less than the market, they were expecting very large increases to come out of this compensation study. And what we found was that we were Kind of right in the hunt with with a lot of our levels. There were certain levels. I think it was maybe at the senior level, early manager level that that we had to make some pretty good adjustments. But a lot of the levels we were kind of right at the market. So I don't know exactly how to caution somebody around maybe messaging that differently. But I think that was one of the things that we learned was when people hear compensation study, they think compensation increase. And we did give significant increases out. Don't get me wrong. We especially like a lot of firms did. I think during kind of during COVID you know, a lot of retention bonuses, a lot of bumps. We gave, I think in the last maybe 18 months, three, pretty, probably three different pay increases to people. So, you know, we did, we did change, we changed some timing. That was one of the other things that we learned. We always gave, gave raises on January 1st and promotions on January 1st, but that didn't really fit with the business model. So we've actually accelerated that to September 1st now, because that's really when if you think about clients, the majority of clients are calendar year clients. You're starting to work on those clients earlier in the year, maybe in the fall. So if we want someone to be promoted to manager, if we want someone to be promoted to senior, we want them to function. They're, they're going to be functioning like that in starting in maybe around September versus January. It also gives people and gives us good information if somebody wants to make a move and they're waiting to see what their raise is going to be. 
giving them the raise in January wasn't always the smartest thing, I think. So we, we as a firm learned a lot of lessons through it. I think our people benefited very much from it. There's all, you know, you can't please all the people all the time, I guess, is the other lesson. So you have to really look at, at your best people and and try to make, make the best decisions for them and, and build it. Again, compensation isn't everything, but it's a big thing. So when you're looking at that employee experience and that kind of well-rounded experience that, that you're trying to give your people, you can't underestimate the impact the compensation has on that. But I think you do have to look at all those other things too, flexibility. We have unlimited PTO, which I think is a great benefit for our people, things like that, that people need to look at as a whole package as well. Pay is probably still the most important thing, but a lot of other things, particularly in post-COVID or as post as we're ever going to be, have kind of risen a little bit higher in people's things that they desire than maybe just pay. So I think that's that's important to kind of look at that big picture and see what it is. Talk to your people, see what it is they're interested in and where you can make adjustments and where you may not be able to, but maybe you can down the road. I think that's great to look at that holistically. So another area that comes up in conversation frequently, again, post-COVID, is remote work and collaboration. With 10 offices, including one in Vermont, one in Texas, and eight in New York, how are you managing your workforce? And are most people back in the office working hybrid schedules or fully remote? We never really shut down in a in a huge way early COVID, you know, like back in coming up on three years now, we were probably for about six weeks, we were closed. People were working remotely. We were amazed at how, like a lot of companies, I'm sure we were amazed at how quickly we could shift to the remote work. But, you know, as soon as we could safely get people back, we we invited people back. We really believe our culture is built around being together and, you know, better together is really kind of our, our mantra. So most people are in the office most of the time is the kind of the way we look at it. We're a lot more flexible, I'd say, than we were pre-COVID in terms of people needing to have, you know, work different schedules or be home or, you know, take a, take a day where you just want to work from home without needing permission. I mean, it's very, I feel like it's a very professional approach to it. But we're not shy about um, letting people know that we think we're, we're better together. We think people's careers are much more fulfilling. We think they're, they learn a lot more if you're physically together. And technology has been great. And it, it helps us with, with so many things, um, this interview, for example. But when we can be together, when we can be at clients together, when we can be in the office together, uh, we think that's the best thing. We do have about only about maybe three to four percent of our people are fully remote, and and they're all around the country. We've got we've got international employees as well, um, but but that's a really small percentage of of who we are. And we just feel like the energy is better. We feel like the the learning the learning is better. The relationship building is better. And even where we've had a lot of clients that maybe don't want us back, you know, especially on the audit side, we're used to being, auditors are used to being out at the client. We've built some rooms in all of our offices that kind of simulate that audit at the client environment. So we try to get our people, even if they're in the office, we try to get them to, to go into these kind of collaboration rooms so that they can they can still be physically together and they're not just sitting in their workstation and, and working on their computer. So 
we've definitely benefited from technology in terms of being able to have people travel a little bit less, have people be able to work across all those offices. But for the most part, we think we're, we're better together. So we like people to be to be physically present in the office. I don't think that's necessarily, I think it's, I don't know how common it is. I don't know how popular it is, but we're kind of unapologetic about it. So we're, it's working for us. No, I think that's good. And, you know, that way people know what to expect, what's expected of them. And I do like the flexibility that I think a lot of firms have adopted with the, I have a refrigerator delivering at two o'clock today. I don't want to take the whole day off because I can work, but now with this added flexibility and remote work opportunity, people can do that sort of thing. And I think it does keep things moving forward a little bit better. And yeah, I I like the idea. I've worked from home for long before COVID and have also worked in offices. And I think there's advantages to both. You just have to figure out what works best for your firm and your people. Yeah, I think I think it's our responsibility as well to guide people that don't necessarily have the experience to know what's best. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like with your kids, you know, they, they think they know what they want, but they don't really know what's best for them. So, you know, a lot of people earlier in their careers, they think they might, they think it might be interchangeable or they think it might, they might benefit just as much from, from having a, a fully remote experience. But, you know, our people tell us, especially interns, um, younger people that maybe have have worked at a different firm and and done the remote thing and then worked in in our office, they they tell us that they appreciate being able to come in. They like having a separation. They like building relationships. They like seeing their friends. They like you know going to lunch together. All those kinds of things that that everybody just did pre-COVID. But now you kind of have to be a little bit more thoughtful about. It. And I I do think to your point, Bonnie, everybody has things that come up in their life, so you need that flexibility. You don't feel great. You know, we, we tell people if they don't feel good, don't come to work. <laughs> you know, if you're not sick enough to not work, feel free to work from home. But we don't want we don't want anybody coming to work sick. No. You know, so those kinds of things are a lot more uh, easily managed, I think, with a, with technology and and just a kind of a more flexible attitude that we all had to adopt over the last couple of years. I agree. I'm a big believer in keep your germs to yourself. I do not want them. (laughs) So I do like that for sure. So as a perennial move firm, as I mentioned earlier, how do you feel that your participation in the Accounting Move Project annually supports your firm goals and gives you a competitive advantage in attracting talent? I think it's both for, it's great for our people as well as for prospective clients. We're amazed at how many more clients are asking about DE&I type topics that I don't know that they uh, were focused on it in in the past as much, but now it, it comes up all the time in proposal opportunities for us or for talking to prospective clients. And we're so proud to be able to say that we are a, a move firm and that we are a great firm for women to work for, a great firm for pay equity. I think it really resonates with prospective clients as well as job candidates. And for me, it's really just been a great way to validate the work that we're doing. It's data-driven. It's comparative. You know, there's this pure comparison that kind of have a feeling that you might be doing the right things, but it's until you really see the data and you really hear from other firms. And, and I mean, above all, probably we learn so much from all the other firms. I love, I love hearing about what other firms are doing. I love talking to people and it's not, it's not a competition thing. I mean, maybe, maybe it should be more minutes, but I'm, I'm not the most competitive person on the planet. So I just, I'm more looking at like, how can we all 
raise, you know, raise all the boats. So I think that's, that's been a great advantage for us is just the having access to the data and learning from the other firms. It's been great. Yeah, I enjoy hearing all the stories. And part of what we do is put together best practices that we can just share with all of the firms and even just completely publicly in our annual report that we put out. And that's frankly how the idea of this year we are focusing on career sustainability and also going to kind of drill down into the idea of customized part-time fractional partnerships. Mm-hmm. Because there are a handful of firms that have are doing it well. I'm like, I want to know how they're doing that because that's something I get asked quite frequently. And I'm excited that that's going to be part of our 2023 research. So maybe we can have an impact on the profession and allow more people who have other responsibilities that they have to focus on move into that leadership role when they didn't think it was possible before. And I, I think that's something that we've learned. I mean, we've, we've always been, like I said earlier, we've always been very open to giving people opportunities, but we, like a lot of firms had sort of this mentality of, well, if you're not, if you're not full-time or full-time plus, especially in public accounting, then how could you be an owner? How can you own a business if you're not all in? And we kind of had to, I don't know exactly when or, or how we, we kind of came around to, to a different way of thinking, but we saw so many women, especially, that were excellent, really, really high potential, high performing people, but they kind of had maybe a better approach to life and balance than, than somebody like I did, because it really wasn't an option. And we thought, why are we, why are we missing out on all these great partners just because they either choose not to or can't work ridiculous hours, 25, 26, 2700 hours or more? It, it doesn't, it's not really a comment on their skill or their potential. So once we kind of got over that and said, you know, you, you can be an owner of a business and not, not have it be the only thing in your life, that was sort of kind of a breakthrough for us as a firm, I think. I think it does require a, a shift in mindset that a lot of firms aren't quite willing to make yet, but hopefully we will have some impact on that. And I'm really excited to start digging into that information and hearing how it is that firms are structuring those partnerships and how women are benefiting from that. What advice would you have for other firms looking to expand their talent pipeline, attract women in a more diverse workforce? Maybe they're smaller firms or they haven't really looked into that. And with today's war on talent or talent shortage or whatever it is, the finding and retaining people is really cutting today. It said that that's one of the top things that are keeping uh, partners up at night. So what advice do you have for other firms that may be not quite as far down the road as you are, but really do want to expand their um, pipeline? Opening your mind to the work itself and who can do the work. I think there's such a tradition in public accounting and it's it's driven by the industry in a lot of ways and the, and the education requirements. You know, you have to have a master's or 150 hours to, to sit for the CPA exam or it's that that is such a barrier to so many people. We're learning and we certainly haven't got it all figured out, but we're learning that different types of candidates will be great for us in, in a longer term perspective. So for example, um, we've been hiring and recruiting at community colleges in the hope that two things. One, uh, we've got a lot of really great work that can be done by somebody who doesn't necessarily have five years of college and beyond, 
or maybe today isn't a candidate for this for a CPA certification. But we're hoping that by by bringing in some talent that maybe is less traditional, maybe we'll encourage people to go on to school, maybe get an advanced degree. But maybe this can just be a great career for somebody that can really keep moving up with a with a growth oriented firm. There's plenty of work to do. We're figuring out that it's not a one size fits all career and that the 22 year or 23 year old five year graduate that's planning to sit for the exam isn't the only successful model for, for a firm like ours. So I think a lot of firms have brought in different kinds of candidates through different lines of business, whether it's consulting or IT consulting or, or things like that. But I think even in the traditional business, I mean, we're, we are a CPA firm that, that provides a lot of other services to our clients, but bread and butter still is we're a CPA firm. So, you know, I think you can accomplish a lot of great client service with people that don't necessarily look like the cookie cutter traditional candidate that we've always gone for. And there's just not enough of them to go around. So especially in markets like ours, I mean, we're in smaller markets where, you know, not a lot of people are flocking to move to upstate New York, although it's it's a lovely place to be certain times of the year, but it's, it's not one of those um, markets that has an, an unlimited number of traditional candidates. So I think that's one of the biggest things. Open your mind to some different things. And you may be surprised that that was another thing that we heard from our people as we have this employee experience initiative that we've been going through, that there's certain types of work that some people like to do, some people don't like to do. So let's try to match up the type of work that somebody wants to do with their skill set, with with what their career goals are, and put the right work in the right place. But that might result in having a lot of team members that don't all look like everybody else and don't don't have the same background, don't come from the same place, don't have the same goals. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And forcing somebody to do things that they really don't want to do is certainly not going to encourage them to stay. So matching, I say the desire and the skills and the career path that people really want is, again, goes back to that whole idea of being good for the employees and good for the firm at the same time. I think it Absolutely. makes all the sense in the world. And I, and I think people have a much shorter timeline, I guess the word is, in terms of when they're going to make decisions about about a career move or, or what's satisfying or what's not. Like I said, I've been in a, at my firm for, for many, many years. And when I started, it was definitely stick with it for a long time and the rewards will be great. But now I think a lot of our younger people are, are smarter than that. And they have a lot more, they have more choices. They have more confidence in in making decisions about about where their career is going to take them and how quickly they want to, they want to do it. I think it's a balance. You have to be patient. You have to recognize that you have a lot to learn. But on the other hand, you do have options and it's worked out wonderful for me. It's been a great career, but I do think there's a lot more movement and a lot less stigma around that movement these days. So we as partners and business owners have to be cognizant of what people are looking for and how to how to really attract them and, and show them that that our firm is a great place to be. And, and it, that takes a lot of work. Yes, it does. Uh, much like you, I have I have a number of years on me, and I remember entering the workforce in the early '90s uh, when we were smack in the middle of a depression and unemployment rates were high, and I was just happy to have a job. Correct. And you know, <laughs> actually got downsized a few times in my early 20s. And but I do agree that again, the economy is a bit different. 
But I like the idea that, you know, this is not going to be something for me and people don't wind up stuck in careers that don't bring them joy or don't bring them where they want to go. I think there's a balance there that we have to find, but I applaud them for that. (laughs) I do too. I really do. I mean, people, people will comment on, you know, for me being someplace for so long is unusual. And how could you do the same thing for all those years? And I always tell people like, it's been, it hasn't been the same thing. It's been a, when I joined our firm, we had about 30 people. Now we're close to a thousand. So growing that's been a super exciting and fun bunch of decades, but it's not for everybody and people have choices and we have to respect that and, and anticipate those choices and figure out what's going to make them want to stay where they are. If it's a, if it's a good fit, like you said, honey, for the firm, it's good for the firm is good for the people and vice versa. Absolutely. Oh, this is fun. So I want to completely shift gears here and ask you just a few questions that I always love to hear the answers to. And I think they're a fun way to end a podcast. So when you were five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, this is a hard question, Bonnie, because I don't remember being five years old. Very much. <laughs> I remember and I'm, I'm still best friends with my kindergarten best friend. So I do when I think of being five, I think about that, which is which is pretty awesome. But I think I wanted to be a teacher back in the day because I really liked school, but I guarantee I didn't want to be an accountant or I didn't even know what an accountant was, but I, I never was that person that was so sure about what I wanted to be or what, you know, what I saw myself as. So I think kind of rolled with it in some ways, but you know, it's all worked. It's all worked out fine, but yeah, CPA was not my kindergarten dream, probably. Probably <laughs> certainly not chief risk officer. Right. <laughs> right. Right, right. So if you were given the chance to travel anywhere you could, money is not an object, uh, where would you go and why? I love to travel. I, I'm obsessive about it and I can't wait to keep doing more and more of it. So this is, this is something fun to think about. But I'm always torn between that like super active trip and the relaxing trip. So I have I have two. One would be a trip around the world and stopping at like every continent, like just a really diverse, you know, you said money's no object. And I know this would be like a, like a super duper expensive excursion. It would probably take six months to do it the right way, but that would be the active one. The less active one is spend time at one of those ridiculous luxury resorts that you see like in Bora Bora or the Maldives or someplace like that. So I think I want to do both of those actually, but maybe it's one trip with both of those things. I like the idea of one trip that ends in the Maldives. Yes. So you can recover from all the activity of travel and just enjoy a month of yes. sipping cocktails with your feet in the water and all that wonderful oh, stuff. It sounds like a dream. Yes. <laughs> I like it. Well, finally, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? This one I know. This is, I would love to be able to like teleport myself. Because getting from one place to another without like like all that travel, but just to be able to like not have to deal with the, the time it takes to get places or driving, you know, we like you said, we have 10 offices. I go to all our offices. And so I'm constantly traveling, driving, you know, an hour and a half to get here, two hours to get here. And I can uh, convince myself that the journey is part of it. It would be nice to just be able to blink my eyes and show up someplace without having to worry about it. So that's mine. I flying is a close second. I would like to be able to fly, but that'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Now I'm with you on the whole teleporting thing. I went on a short trip this past week and I have one coming up later this week. And I told my husband, I said, I love being in other places, 
the process of getting from here to the other place is not the part I love anymore. So I like the idea of teleporting. I think you're in a major, at least you're in a major place, a city with like a, to, for us to get a direct flight to anywhere is a big challenge. So I am spoiled yeah, yeah. when it comes to that. Being in Atlanta, we can fly direct just about anywhere. I do have a trip later this year. I have to go to Reno and I'll have to change planes and I was I was whining about it, and then I'm like, what are you doing? I never have to change planes, so I really don't have any right to complain at all. So yeah, I still I still like the idea of teleporting. I'm I'm kind of with you on that one. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to chat with me about your experience in Bonadio and. The great things that you have going on there. I look forward to having another conversation with you soon. Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much. I enjoyed our talk so much, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and SACPRO. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Resick, and until next time, keep moving forward.